If you would, Second Peter chapter 3. So how do we best prepare ourselves for this life? How can we do that? And Peter's going to share with us today in closing of this second letter that he wrote how we do that and what that looks like for us in our lives. And he's going to share two primary realities. And one is that we grow by growing in the grace and the knowledge of Christ. And secondly, from that, that we would live in such a way that gives honor and glory to Christ in every area of our life, just not just now, but it, that, that would continue through all of e- eternity. And so he will close out this letter today reminding us of this. And so we're going to look at two verses today, 17 and 18. We touched on 17 last week, but, but it's important to put both of those two things together, 17 and 18, so that we can understand how he is closing this. And so 17 is a call to be aware of something or to beware and to be prepared. And then he's going to, in 18, going to give a strong command about growing and about pursuing him. If you go to chapter 1 of Second Peter just for a moment, I want to remind us of something we studied several months ago because I think it sets the stage as to why he closes this letter there. So Second Peter chapter 1. In 13 and 14. I was in First Peter 1. There we go. So he writes, I think it right, as long as I am in this body, to stir you up by way of reminder. Since I know that the putting off of my body will be soon, as our Lord Jesus Christ made clear to me. I think it's important because I think part of the backdrop of this second letter is this reality that Peter knows that he's not too long going to remain on planet earth and he's going to give his life for the cause of Christ. His love for Jesus is going to cost him ultimately the physical life and then he will move on from here and he will go in the presence of Christ. But I think this, this idea dominates much of what he has written in this. It's his last opportunity to communicate to a group of people that he loves. He's invested in them. And now we come to the close of this, and he's got two last things he wants to share with them. And it's verses 17 and 18. And 18 is a critical point, and he's sharing with a group of people, again, that he deeply loves, reminding them, these are the last things that I'm sharing with you before I go. I'm not going to be able to talk with you again, and these, going to, these, these words are going to remain with you and remind you of what is critical in nature. We know in John chapter 21, Jesus had told him that... One day when Peter was older, somebody was going to come along and they were going to grab Peter's hand and they were going to lead him to a place that he did not want to go. And John writes in parentheses, by this he was communicating to Peter and indicating what would happen with Peter, that he would give his life. And John includes in that parentheses how Peter would give his life to glorify God. And so now all of this has come to an end. He's writing the last things he can write to them, and he shares with them, this is what's critical. I want to prepare you for what's coming in the days ahead, and then I want to give you a critical piece that's going to help you walk through the things that you're going to face. So let's look, 2 Peter 3, 17 and 18, and then we'll walk through this. So he writes, you therefore, beloved, knowing this beforehand, take care that you are not carried away with the error of lawless people, And lose your own stability. Here's the key. So that's the warning 17. Here's the action he says. But you grow 
in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. To Him be the glory, both now and to the day of eternity. Amen. First of all, this morning, I want to draw our attention to, and I want to have entitled all the points, The Life or A Life, because I think that's what Peter closes this. He wants these believers to walk in the life that Christ has for them. The first thing that Peter points out here is that we must live our lives prepared. So I want to talk about, for a moment, a life prepared. The first part of verse 17 says this, You therefore, beloved, knowing this beforehand. So from Peter, and also Paul writes this, Jesus as well, he says this, I want you to be on guard. I want you to be aware of of the reality of the world that you live in. And here's the reality of the world. Since the Garden of Eden and man was cast out of that garden, there have come along those who proclaim and teach things that are untrue. And then there are people who love the truth and walk in the truth. And this friction and this battle has been around around the people of God forever. And so Peter, knowing this group of believers is dealing with this, again, the first letter he wrote to them was all about persecution. They were not free from this persecution, but a new need had arise, had arisen that Peter needed to address, and that was the issue of false teaching. So they are still dealing with the reality of persecution. They are dealing with the rea- reality of, of false teaching. And so he tells them this. I want to remind you of this, and I want you to be prepared ahead of time, knowing this reality is going to come It has always been around, and it's going to continue to do this. In the Greek, this phrase, to be prepared or knowing this beforehand is one word, and it just simply means this, to know something in advance. And so a lot of things in our life we don't know in advance about those things. But Peter's saying you can know this one. This is something you can know in advance, that what's going to come to the church in every generation are those who come along and they proclaim things And they say things that are opposite of Scripture. Or they distort something in regard to the second coming or something about the divinity of Christ. This kind of reality has always been around. And so Peter says to them one last time, You therefore, beloved. We talked about this last week. This word beloved in the Greek means divinely loved ones. And so he says to them, You who are so intimately, divinely Loved by the eternal God, I want to remind you ahead of time, and I want to tell you in advance, these things are going to be a reality continually in your life. And so here we are in 2019, and these things that Peter's writing sometime in the mid-60s AD is saying this and communicating, this is the reality. It's going to continue to be a reality, so you be prepared for it, knowing that it is going to come. Now, this is something they already know. They're experiencing it. They know it. But he is reminding them of what is critical. And so he reminds them, you've got to be prepared ahead of time. So this life must be prepared. I tell our students this all the time when I have opportunity to do so. That you need to know ahead of time before you get into a situation so that if you ever get into that situation, you recognize and know this is a situation I'm not familiar with. And so I need, to, I need to exercise great caution. I need to run from this situation, whatever the case may be. And so when we're prepared and we know this reality ahead of time, we can avoid some of the things that you and I can face. And so for the church, Peter is saying this. You need to be prepared and know this. 
that the church is always going to face teaching and distortions about the truth of the gospel. So your life needs to be ready for that. And the only way to be ready for that, or if you are ready for that, is to know the word of God. And then once you are prepared and you know this, then you will live a life, secondly, this morning, that is not swayed by the things that come along. Now, this is true, and I've shared this with us over the last couple of months as we walk to chapter 2 and into chapter 3. This is true, um, because I've been back for 10 years now, and, and it seems like some of this stuff has sped up. This is what's happening more so here in the church in America and the philosophy of America than it is in Europe, because Europe is much more darker and not as many people and not as many strong churches like we have still here in the States. But this is a reality. Every three or four years, something comes along within the evangelical world and it becomes the new thing. And there's conferences that are gathered around it and everybody flocks to the conferences. And then after about three or four years, that new thing kind of dies out and there's a new thing that arises. And so everybody goes to those conferences and churches are consistently modeling and changing philosophy of ministry around whatever is new and what is there. And it's not that anything of those things necessarily is bad, but the reality is I think God has called the church and called his people to one way from the very beginning, and that is to walk in light of his glorious character and to walk in his word. And so there's ways that we can be creative about some of the things that we do, but I think the danger is to flock after the newest thing or where everybody's, where everybody's going to or whatever the case may be is that we get caught up in thinking that we need something new. And I've been trying to tell us, and I think Peter's trying to tell us, that there is not anything new that we need. What we need is what has always been around, and that is God. And it's what God has said and spoken to us because that is what our lives are desperately in need of. And so Peter is communicating one last time, saying, Beloved, I want you to be prepared ahead of time. And if you're prepared ahead of time, he says this, and here's how you're prepared. You take care that you're not carried away with the error of lawless people. This phrase, lawless people, means unprincipled people. They're not guided by the Scripture. They speculate or they make up or whatever the case may be. Make sure that you're not guided by unprincipled teachers who are not true to the written scripture and are not true to what God has established. So the Greeks use this phrase here, take care, as a military term to say this, be ready in the battle when another army comes that you're ready for what's there, that you're not carried away by some new tactic. You trust what your generals, what you have trained, what you know, you trust in those things. And so you're ready for it. And he's talking about moving from a place of stability to a place of instability. And this happens all the time. As a matter of fact, Paul, writing to Timothy in the first letter, wrote about two guys who evidently at some point in time in Paul's life and ministry, they were key parts of Paul's circle. But they had chosen to kind of walk away from the truth of Scripture and they began to say some things and I think teach some things and proclaim some things that were not true of the apostolic ministry. And so Paul calls them out. And these guys, he says this of them, 1 Timothy 1.19, 
Paul says this, here's key. You've got to hold faith and a good conscience. Hold your faith, have a good conscience. But if you reject these, he says, some have shipwrecked their faith. And among them are a guy named Hymenaeus and Alexander. And Paul says, whom I have handed over Satan so that they may learn not to blaspheme. So here's two guys that were part of the inner circle of Paul and no longer were walking that way and had decided to go a different way. Maybe it was listening to a false teacher. Maybe it was they became false teachers and they began to proclaim things. But whatever it was, they had swerved from the truth and they had begun to live in such a way that it had led their life to shipwreck on the shore. And here's the reality. Listen. If we do not anchor our lives to the glory of God and the truth of God's word, then we're going to be tossed about by whatever happens and whatever comes out there. Because one of the natural tendencies is if we're not grounded in the foundation and anchored securely to the bottom and, 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 and are there, the winds are going to come even to a believer. But if we're anchored to Christ... The winds blow, the waves toss, the rain comes. There's a stability and a strength that is there because we have anchored our soul to Christ. And I believe the life that does not sway is the kind of life that where we personally are taking care of our sanctification, watching over our integrity and our godliness and those things, and that the church is also participating in that. So I think those two areas of responsibility are true for all of us. There's a personal responsibility that we have to watch out for ourselves, and there's a responsibility of the church to continue to call the church to a place of biblical truth because this is a reality. Our behavior always follows our belief. So whatever we believe is going to end up being how we behave and how we live our lives. And so Peter is saying, listen, if your life is prepared, you know that there's going to be false teaching and distortions about the Scripture and the glory of God and all, the Trinity and all kinds of things of that nature. And you will anchor your life and not to Christ. When somebody comes along and they're unprincipled people, not teaching the truth of God's Word, and they're lawless, they've stepped outside and they're doing their own thing, you will be anchored in such a way because you're prepared and your life won't be swayed by whatever is the newest thing that's out there that everybody is flocking to. And I believe this, that throughout the history of the church, there have been Christ followers who have found themselves carried away with error. And I think that happens for three reasons. And one is simply this. I think some Christ followers just get bored with the Word of God. I think they're bored with it. And they think it's just not relevant anymore. And they may, well, I guess you could question whether truly have come to salvation if they're bored with it. But I think at times... There's just a boredom that sets in, and so they're not interested in doing anything. I think a second thing is, is simply this, is, is that they just don't like some parts of the written truth. Just don't like it. And so um, I'm going to ignore that so that I can live the way that I want to live, and so there's an ignoring of that. And then thirdly, and I think this is a big one and probably the biggest one, is I think there's many Christ followers who don't do the work necessary to know the Word of God. Let's face it, you know this. If, if we're going to know the Word of God, you've got to get up early, right? You've got to set aside time. 
or you got to set aside time in the morning or the afternoon or at night, whatever the case may be, maybe however we're wired. You're, we're not going to know him if there's not work that's put involved in it. Now, again, this is not work to, get our, to earn our salvation, but this is work to know someone. I remember when I wanted to know this girl named Pam Henderson. She was working at a shop in a mall in Amarillo, Texas. I was living in Canyon, Texas, about 15 miles south of there going to school. Pam worked, strangely enough, in this section, the lingerie section of the the place. And I just happened to find myself in that store from time to time where she was working, passing through. So I don't know what she thought originally, like, okay, what's wrong with this guy? But I was showing up there. Why? Because it took work swallowing your pride to walk through that because I wanted to know her. I wanted to get to know her. And I got in my car. I drove in there and would show up. And then I got the phone number and I began to pursue. And this is reality, folks. If we want to know God, if we want to know God, it takes effort on our part. It's not going to automatically happen. It, I don't know if it would be great, but it would be a lot easier if we could just walk in and flip the switch and we just know God. But that's just not the way God has designed things. If we want to know him, then we've got to do the work. And so let's not be ones who are bored. Let's not be ones who go, oh, I don't like that. And so I'm just going to ignore it. Let's be the kind of people who say this. I am going to be prepared, and the way that I'm prepared is I know God's word, and so therefore I'm not going to be swayed by the error of lawless people who come in and say certain things. And so we do not want to be those kind of people who refuse to listen and to embrace what God has said. So Peter says, got to be prepared. If you're prepared, you won't be swayed. And thirdly, that will allow you and I to have a life of stability. And so he closes Verse 17 with that phrase, and lose your own stability. Because here's the reality. The life that is prepared will not be swayed, and therefore it becomes that kind of life that is stable and strong in regard to what is happening and taking place. And I think for many of us, I think we've come to know this to be true. I think for us, the strength in a Christ follower long-term is found and how you and I respond to those moments where we are idiots. You ever been one of those? I'm going to live for myself. I'm going to do what I want to do. And I'm going to choose to do this. And we get caught up in something. We do something. But I think the key reality for us is those moments are going to continue to be a part of our life. But how do we respond to those moments? Because those moments are going to come. And some people respond to those moments of like, okay, I can never get over this. And I want to remind you and I in this room this morning, there's not anything that's too big for God to take care of and handle. And so when we make those mistakes, we run back to him and say, I have done this, God, forgive me. And there's a beauty that comes in the washing of the forgiveness that's there. And so how you and I respond to the instability in our life of picking ourselves back up and getting and walking again I think it says a lot about long-term. Because if you look, if, if our, our life in Christ was this long line, there's going to be some dips in there. Is there not? There's dips in there. But what we want is from those dips that there's a pursuit of a straight path of pursuing God in maturity and moving on from being a baby, 
moving through the adolescent years and moving to a place of mature adulthood spiritually where there's a, a movement to know God. And so Peter, in verse 17, gives us a caution. He says, you've got to be prepared. You've got to be prepared. And when you're prepared, secondly, you're not going to be swayed. And when you're prepared and you're not swayed, you will have a life of stability. Now, I, I know this to be true for my own life. There are moments where some of the, some of the things that we do and they, they sometimes kind of can dominate our life and we fall from a place of soundness and stability to a place where we don't feel that assurance anymore and we question certain things. Man, am I really a believer because um, I've been doing this and, and so there's a lack of assurance that's there. So I want to talk about this just briefly for a moment. If we are born of God, we can't be unborn. We are his. So I believe in the security of the believer, even when sometimes in our lives there are things that we decide that do not honor him. So I don't think we can be unborn of him. And I think some in those moments we lose assurance of this. And what I want to say to us is what I think Peter is addressing. I think some of the people he's been writing to, they'd fallen prey to unprincipled, lawless, false teachers, and they were confused about the second coming, and they were struggling with these things. And Peter's reminding them, come back to God. Come back and move on. Get right. Get your theology right. Get your belief right so that you can move forward from what is there. Because if we don't know Scripture, if we do not know Scripture, when you and I face tough moments in our lives, and they will come, we will naturally not know how to apply that scripture in our lives. And sometimes if we don't know the scripture well enough, because of the condition we're in, we'll distort even what we should know to be true because there's a lack of assurance that's there in our lives. And so, so I want to remind you and I today, we, if you know him, you know him. And if you've been born of him, you've been born of him. And if you're wrestling with things Give those things to him and begin to move forward from a place of instability back to a place of stability so that you and I can have an influence in the culture around us. And I believe that only God has the power to keep us from stumbling. So there's a warning from Peter in verse 17. You've got to be prepared. Be prepared. Know this reality. When you're prepared, you will not be swayed. And when you're not swayed, there'll be a stability in your life that will be strong and that will impact you. And then I think he shares now in verse 18 what is key and critical to how we finish this race. And so look at 18 again. So he says, But grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To him be glory both now and and to the day of eternity. Amen. So fourthly, I want to talk this morning about the life of growth. So how do we get the stability that we need? And Peter says here, but grow. You've got to grow. There's got to be a pursuit. There's got to be a moving on from where you are, a continual movement of growth. Now, I think for many Christians, they believe growing means this. I'm going to stuff a bunch of facts in my head about God. I'm just going to get a bucket and go, go to the ocean when you want to collect shells. You get a bucket and you just grab shell after shell and you put them in there and you've got a bunch of shells. And they think Christian, the Christianity is just about stuffing a bunch of facts into our head. 
and then they never live out anything. But watch this. Here's how Peter, again, Peter's about to die. He knows his death is coming. He's got one last sentence that he can write. One last sentence he can write, one last opportunity to write to these divinely loved ones and say to them, this is what you need. And the last thing that he says to them is this, you've got to learn and then you've got to live what you learn. Watch. Learn. Watch. Watch. (laughs) Trouble. You've got to learn. Live. Learn. Live. Learn. Live. Not just learn. Not just live. Those two things have to be connected together. And so he says, learn facts, learn things that are true, and then live them. And so Peter writes last written words to believers, and he tells them to beware in verse 17. And now he gives them a command to say, you've got to grow. And I believe that for some Christ followers, they never pursue Christ and they never grow and they never move beyond the initial understanding of Jesus died on the cross. And, and that is a pretty huge understanding to come to, but there is so much from that that we want to know and God wants us to know. And here is the problem. I think that many Christians want the growth to be an event and not a process. Now, there's nothing wrong with events, But if you want to know Christ, it's just a lifelong process. Can you you grow at events? Absolutely, I have. But the reality of our discipleship and our sanctification is, can somebody schedule a three-day thing and then that'll fix things with me in my life and it'll fix things for about a week. And then eight days later, you got to wake up and you got to get into the Word again. It's a process. Is a walking process. And so what happens is we want it to be an event, but it's not that way. Biblical growth is not an event. It's a daily pursuit. It's a daily process of seeking him. Salvation is a moment-in-time event. But from that, there's movement now that we pursue him. So we have to ask the question, so how do we know if we're growing? How do we know if there's maturity happening in our lives? Well, I think you notice it in this. Are we becoming more like Jesus? And if we're becoming more like Jesus in our speech, our actions, what our hands do, what our feet do, what our eyes do, what our ears do, what we're putting into our mind, how we're giving our time, if that is conforming more and more to look like Jesus, then there's maturing that is happening and taking place in our life. We are living out what we are learning. So that's how the growth happens. It's not just facts, but it's living it out. And I believe this, every Christ follower... I believe every Christ follower is in one of three places. One, they have stayed in childhood. I believe believe Jesus died for me on the cross. I know that to be true. I confess my sin. I trust in Jesus. And they have stayed in childhood, and they've never grown. They rely on everybody else in their life to feed them, clothe them, take care of them, get them places. Some of you got young kids now, and you got to take them everywhere. Eventually, they're going to get a driver's license. And your life is going to be so awesome because they can drive themselves places. And there's a freedom that's there. But with kids, they have to be taken everywhere. They have to be told what to do. you got to eat this. you got to be here. No, you can't wear that. Listen, think about that spiritually. If we just stay childlike and child, we want to be childlike. But if we just stay 
a child in such a way that we never grow, that we constantly have to have believers all the time telling us what we need to do, then we're not moving to a place of maturity. And then I think, think a second place that you see a lot of Christians is they're teenagers. They're adolescents. Here's what adolescence is. They're up and down, up, down. Yay, God, uh, not so great, God. Yay, God, God's all, uh, not so great, God. And there's a lot of emotion, right? A lot of emotion with all the things that are happening and taking place. And then there's a third area where some Christ followers get to a place where they become mature adults. Where there's a, I know, it's, I know what God's called me to do, and I'm going to walk in it, I'm going to live it, I'm going to embrace it. And watch this. If we are not careful, we will live as Christ followers in a state of arrested development. We're just stuck somewhere, not growing to a place of maturity. And I think the Bible is real clear. We ought to gather together on Sunday mornings to worship, study God's Word, have community and fellowship with one another. But you can't rely on your life group leader or myself to feed you. I, I don't want to come to your house on a Wednesday to do a sermon for you. And you don't want me to do that either. You don't want to be around me that much either. But what you want to do on a Wednesday is you've reached a place where you don't need anybody else but God and his word. And it's worth it to get up. And it's worth it to spend the time. It's worth it to pay the price to pursue him. And so Peter says, listen, here's the reality Last thing I can say to you, grow, grow, and grow in two areas. I want you to grow in grace, and I want you to grow in knowledge. Now, two things I want to say about this. In Peter's first letter to these believers, he tells them this in 1 Peter 2.2. 2, like newborn infants long for pure spiritual milk, that by it, this longing, drinking, drinking like a baby just longed and cries, I want it, I want it, I want more, I want more, I want more, feed me, feed me, feed me, I want the milk. Long for the word like that, and watch this, and Peter says, that you may grow up in your salvation. So if you want to mature, if you and I want to mature in our salvation, it's going to come from longing to know God in the word. And then Paul says it like this, a second key aspect. If we want to become more like Christ and move in maturity, there's a longing and then there's a beholding. And this is what Paul says, 2 Corinthians 3.18. And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image of what we are beholding, from one degree of glory to another. And for this comes from the Lord, and Paul says, who is the Spirit. Watch. If we're going to move to a place where we're not up and down, up and down, up and down, up and down, like a teenager or a kid, just, okay, somebody tell me what to do. I don't know what to do. If we're going to move to a place where we're owning our faith and there's a maturity that is connected to our faith, it's going to be more than event Christianity and emotional Christianity. It's going to be this kind of Christianity. I long at 2 a.m. for the Word of God. I long at 3.30 p.m. for the Word of God. I long for the Word of God as I'm driving down the road. I long for the Word of God. And I will behold the glory of Christ. Watch. How do we know what the glory of God is like? Right here. 
So we long for this, and as we long for it and we eat it and drink it, we are beholding the glory of God in the text, and we are being transformed by the work of the Spirit into the very image of what we are beholding and longing for from one degree of glory to another. And I look, I know there, there's some people in this room that I deeply admire, and I'm not going to call them out because I'll get the big head. But they have walked with God for a long time, and they know the Lord, and I love listening to them talk because there's a maturity that is there that is connected to decades of longing for the Word of God and beholding the glory of God in the Scripture, and they're being transformed from one degree of glory to another. And there's a maturity there that I hope one day, when I get as old as they are, to be like them. I hope that what they know, I taste and experience. So Peter's last opportunity is this. Grow, long for God's word, and as you see him, you will be transformed by the work of the Spirit as you behold him. And he, and he gives two areas, Peter does, growing grace and growing knowledge. Let me talk about grace for a moment. Now, I'm going to ask you a question, and I want you to say it out loud. First service was bad about this this morning. You've got to be better. Ashley Gersky, you've got to say something out loud in a moment, okay? This is not a trick question. The word grace Is grace our work or is grace God's work? God's work, okay? So watch this. Here's what Peter says. Last thing I can tell you is this. I want you to grow in grace. I want you to grow, watch, in God's work. Not your work. I want you to grow in God's work. Do you remember what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 11? He said, come to me, all you who are weary and have heavy burden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke, not your yoke. Take my yoke upon you. You yoke with me. You let me carry the burden. And you walk alongside me in discipleship. I'll carry the weight. And Jesus says there in Matthew 11, 28-30, and learn from me, yoke together with me, and learn from me, and you will find rest for your souls. And I know in my own life, When I burn out and I'm tired, it's because I've been carrying all the weight and the burden. And and I'm not letting him carry it. Now watch this. Peter says, you grow in grace, God's work. Not your work, God's work. So we agree with God and we, we have to do some work. We've got to give energy to this. But we're not trying to come up with something new. We're trying to connect with what's been done and established already. So again, we're not waiting for whatever the newest conference is going to be that's out there. We want Jesus, who's always been there. And He's going to be the same every second, every moment, not every three years with something fanciful. It's not that. It's Him, it's Him, it's Him. And so that's why Peter says, you grow in grace, not in music, not in pastors, You grow in God's work. What God has done, you grow in grace. That is key for you. Grace is his work. And so what do we do with that? We agree with him and we submit. And we trust in what he has done. We are saved by God's grace. And then we need to move on basking and enjoying God's grace. Not getting caught up in matters like legalism and judgmental attitudes and 
things of that nature, but we walk in the great grace that he has given to us. God is incredibly gracious, so gracious, and he always deals with you and I in grace. And I believe the more you and I grow in grace, not fear, grow in grace, God's work, the more gracious we will be to others. I think there's just a, a, a great impact with that. You know, the world uses this word karma all the time. You hear it all the time. Karma is you get what you deserve. See, grace is the opposite of that. Grace is God giving you and I what we didn't deserve, and that's himself. It's the fullest expression of grace. And God's given it to us, his children. It's an amazing thing to taste it and know it. And so Peter says, you've got to grow in grace. You've got to grow in God's work, not your work, God's work. You grow in that. And then he says, grow in knowledge. So he says, not only grow in grace, but I want you to grow in knowledge. And I believe there's a direct correlation in our lives and our faith that comes in our relationship with Christ when the more we know him, the more we love him. The more we know him, the more we love him. And it's in this knowledge of him that has such a great impact upon our lives in such a very strong way. So let me talk about a couple things that are connected to growing in knowledge. And the first one is simply this. We need to know the truths and the facts that are connected in the Bible about God. We need to know them. Know truths and facts. Lots of truth in there. Lots of individual things. We need to know them and we need to know the facts of those things. So that's the first part Peter's calling us. We've got to know him. There are things about the Father, things about the Son, things about the Spirit. We need to know those things. The things about here's how I um, am a husband or a wife or here's how I uh, am, am work with integrity or here's how I run my company um, with integrity. So there's all kinds of factual things that are listed in the Scripture and we need to know them. But it's not just facts. They need to be grounded in experience or faith. That means living out those things that we are coming to know. So again, I want to go back to we learn and then we live. We learn and then we live. And that's what Peter's saying here. Listen, you got to go in grace and in God's work that God's given himself. He's done the work. Agree with him. Yoke with him. Learn from him. Let him carry the weight. Peter said it as well. 1 Peter 5, 8. Cast all your anxiety on him for he cares for you. So we live that way, yoked with him, learning, walking along with him in intimate relationship. And this life is burdensome. That's why he came. He died on the cross to, to bear our sin and to carry those things. And so as his children, we yoke with him in discipleship and we follow him and we want to know things. Jesus said there, Matthew 11, and learn from me, learn from me. So here's the reality. Know certain facts and then live them out. Know them, live them. And listen to this. Faith without knowledge always descends into an emotional faith. Faith without knowledge descends into an emotional faith, and pure knowledge without faith or practice always descends into cold, heartless orthodoxy, the Pharisees. Pharisees, think about this, they had memorized the first five books of the Bible. Can you imagine doing the work to memorize Leviticus? They did the work and memorized Leviticus. They memorized Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, 
Numbers and Deuteronomy. Watch this. And the fulfillment of Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy was standing in front of them and they could not see who he was. So it's not enough to have facts that you just stuffed in your head and you can regurgitate out, but you got to live it. And when we live it and we're united with him, there's this great movement of God and transformation that happens and takes place in our life. You see, the knowledge of Christ doctrine must be put into practice in our lives, and these are the most sound protections against false teaching. It's a way that we maintain our course. So as Peter closes this letter, and we're about to be done, and you're going to be shocked. I told you, Ann Donahoe, I'm fixing to be done. As he closes this letter, one last sentence, he says to them, listen, you've got to grow in grace, and you've got to grow in the knowledge. And you'll hear this today in our day and time. You'll hear people say this, application is more important than knowledge. And it's dominated the church culture in America since about 1980. A big movement called the Seeker Movement was there, and it was all about... Um, Application, application, application. I'm for application, by the way. But if you'll read the Old Testament and the New Testament, it dominates this no, 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 no. And once we know and we begin to live, there's a natural thing that I think happens if we, if we want to know in the, in the way that we're going to live it, that there's a growth and a, and a natural desire with that. See, the Bible concept, for those who say it's all about application, they ignore that the Bible speaks about getting more knowledge. Secondly, God is not asking us to choose between the two. He thinks they're both very important. Both very important. So he's not saying choose application over knowledge. He's saying choose both of those two things. Thirdly, we will never apply anything unless we know it first. We won't. So you've got to know. And then, so watch, you learn and you what? you live. You learn and you live. And fourthly, knowledge without application falls short of God's design. Both are needed. So this idea out there, just application, 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 no, not necessarily. Sometimes when I preach, I don't give a whole lot of application because if you look in a room like this, I've got so many of us gone and uh, August is coming and everybody's going to be back. I, I can't make application to a room full of people like this. And so sometimes I preach the knowledge and I, let, and I trust the spirit when I preach to make the application to you in your own life. I know that happens for me. Sometimes I hear somebody preach and, and, and in a moment with something they say, it applies to me. And then I talk to somebody else and they're like, boy, I didn't get that. And then they tell me what they got. And I'm like, well, I didn't get that either. And so the spirit does this work of application and stuff. And so I think application is tremendously important. But the scripture says this, no more. Get more knowledge with the design to live it more. You know, this was Paul's heart. Listen to what Paul said. Indeed, I count everything in my life as loss except for the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. It's not anything in my life that I want to rise above than knowing Him. And so everything that I could 
point to about me. I've started all these churches. No, I count those things as lost compared to knowing him even as greater. Everything I count as lost, I just want to know him. And here's the reality. So it's not just sitting, but it's movement. It is learning. It is living. Not just sitting there because it becomes unbalanced. And the reason we want to do this is the last part of verse 18. We want to grow in grace and knowledge so that Christ will be glorified now and all the way into eternity. And then Peter says, Amen. So here's the reality. When you and I grow in grace, walk in what he has done, and there's learning, living, other people see that. We come in contact with people. We share the gospel with them. We go on mission. We raise our families. What All the kind of stuff that we do, and we begin to live this out, and it has this great impact that he gets the glory now, but he also is going to get the glory in all of eternity. Now, let me just give you a, a small example as we close this morning. God does the saving. We don't do the saving. Salvation is his work. But sometimes we share with somebody who's a co-worker or we share with our kid or we go on a mission trip and people come to know Christ. And that means they get to go to heaven. And for all of eternity, Christ will continue to get the glory in that small role that we played in extending the gospel to people. So what? So both now, Jesus gets the glory, and then he's going to get the glory for all of eternity because everything that we are to do is to be this passion for God-centered glory that he gets the glory in everything because he's the Lord, he's the Savior, he's done the work. So we want it both now and we want him to get it in eternity And the false teachers deny him now by their wicked life. And then they deny him in eternity by by denying that he's coming again. And so Jesus is the point. He's the answer. He is to be our passion. He is to be our hope. This is to be our lives. So watch. You grow 
and grace and God's work. It's not your work. Just grow in what he's done. Remember what Peter said in chapter 1 of 2 Peter? You have been granted all things that pertain to life and godliness. You're not lacking anything. God's already given everything that we need. So you grow in God's work because he's already provided. We walk in that reality. And our faith becomes like a bicycle where it's if we just stay there and don't do anything, then we're not stable. We're unstable. But when there's movement and application or we're, we, we know and we're living, then there's movement, there's going, and there's impact in the culture, in the nations, to his glory, both now and for all of eternity. So that was Peter's last words with these believers to say to them. Grow in grace, grow in knowledge, to the glory of God, both now and for all eternity. Let's pray.